This is Finding Satan. Michael's asleep in the passenger seat. I look over at him, expecting him to look like an angel, but he just looks like a guy who got the shit beat out of him. Which he is. Because of Annabelle. I lick my finger and rub some of the blood off his forehead. He doesn't stir. Who's your daddy? (laughs) He doesn't fucking know. But I do. I went to the dark place, and I know too much. Much too much. And while I don't know what to do with everything that I know, I do have a plan. And it's my plan this time. Everything is my plan now. That's all that matters. I can't explain where I've been. No one is supposed to know, and no one who cares would ever understand. You may think you know, but you don't. All that matters is that I'm back now. I have a plan. I have Michael. And I think I know what to do. When the seven become nine, When the dark sun rises in the sky, when the blood falls like rain and we walk in darkness, only then will the future unfold for us. Only then will the way be open and we can walk the shadow paths that take us where we want to go. Not all of us will make it. Only the strong. Only the wise. Only the ones who have served can ever rule. He told me this. He whispered it when he held me at night, his teeth on my throat like he loved me. They open with the sun, they say. I look over at the man sleeping while I drive us where we need to go. They open with the sun. They really do. And right now, I'm the only one who knows what that means. Matt and I are still in my apartment. I don't really know what to do. I don't think Matt does either. I'm glad you're okay. I don't even know if I said that yet. Annabelle had me pretty freaked out about that thing in the woods. It was pretty scary. I guess I just got lucky. It seemed like it didn't have any interest in me at all. I wonder why. I think it would be all over you. You know what I mean. Yeah, unfortunately, I think I know why. I'm not exactly main character material, you know? I'm pretty sure I'm just caught up in someone else's story. It hurts to say it out loud, like I'm pulling a knife up out of my throat. That's how I know it's true. No, I know you, Clara. At least, I think I do. This is your story, too. You're in it, just as much as anyone else. It has to mean something that Black Hole Sun chose you. That Michael... 
He trails off, and that's how I know he's listened to my audio. He knows what happened. I turn away from him. I go in my room and close the door softly behind me. I can't face him. I also don't know what the fuck to do in here either. So I do something really unusual for me. I sit down and think. It seems like everyone but me has a plan. Sarah obviously does. Nicole did. And even Annabelle, in her own fucked up way, clearly has an agenda. With Sarah being back and Nicole turning out to be a total fucking cunt, I don't even know what I thought I knew anymore, you know? I don't know if that makes any sense. Maybe Matt's right. Maybe we do need to know more about Black Hole Sun. Maybe we're not the big players, and that's why we don't have our own plans. And maybe that's okay. I guess the next best thing to do is catch up with what everyone else knows. I head out and face Matt. Okay, you're right. Let's go to the church and see what we can find out. And let's bring our shit. I'm tired of driving back and forth. We need to find a place to stay up there. You sure you're okay? Yep. I'm serious. Let's go. Matt's pretty pissed, but not really surprised when we see that Annabelle took his rental. She's such a... a bitch. We're never gonna see that car again. I wanted to take Black Betty anyway. Her mileage sucks, but I'm never driving a different car again. It feels right that she's with us for this next part, and I feel like myself again. Matt reports the rental stolen as soon as we get on the road. He's that kind of guy, where he worries about rental agreements and insurance and that kind of thing. It's refreshing. Can you find us a hotel room, too? Already done. He doesn't even sound smug. Taking care of things is just normal to him. Nothing to even brag about. I hope it's cheap. It's fine. I don't even know what that means, so I don't say anything. Some things come so easily to guys like him. We don't talk for most of the drive. It's nice, actually. I've done this drive so many times recently, and I'm already in a pattern, used to my solitude. And Matt leaves me to it. He's lost in his own thoughts. He's probably thinking about her. I don't want to know. I looked for a schematic of the church, but I didn't find anything, even through back channels. Usually blueprints are filed with the city, and there's always a hole in the city's security, but wherever these blueprints are, I can't find them, which means they don't exist. I hope Clara remembers her way to the offices, since we don't have any way to get the information about the layout. I do find the church's website and all their promotional and marketing information, which includes photos of the facility. I study them, just in case there's anything accidentally informative in them. But the pictures of the basketball court are wholly unenlightening. Maybe they don't have anything to hide. Maybe they put all their secrets out at the temple. And the missing blueprints of the church don't mean anything. Sometimes a banana is just a banana. It's a gray day, and the sky is heavy as we pull into the parking lot. The church is the size of a mall, and the parking lot matches. It is, again, a Tuesday afternoon, and the lot is mostly empty of cars, but 
Clara parks us far away from the church. I look at her and she shrugs. Betty doesn't want to get too close. Okay, I mean, I don't want to either. Not really. But we have to. The front area is empty. It's cold inside. And I get a chill as soon as we walk in. Even with the heat of the outside right at my back. The ship is coming from across the sea. It's getting closer and we're not ready. I'm just relieved not to be in the car anymore. Clara drives like a demon. Safer than Annabelle. I mean, we made it here without crashing. But I'm not actually sure how. Clara is as silent as the church as she leads me through the hallways and down the stairs. We wander through the warren of corridors for 10 minutes, then 15, and only then do I realize we're lost. She still doesn't say anything. She's concentrating on finding the way. I'm about to ask if we should leave. I'm terrified of getting caught when we round a corner and we see a woman, middle-aged, standing in an empty hallway. She's thin and shadowed. I can't see her clearly, even when she walks towards us, but she's holding a small, sharpened stick. You're late. You should know better. She looks at Clara, and for a moment, so brief, I think I imagine it. She flickers and becomes more real. I don't want to look at her, but I can't look away, and her smile is full of sharp teeth, and her eyes are even sharper, and there's a small tear in reality, and I hear the screaming of the damned when she speaks again, looking at Clara. You of all people should know better by now. Clara flushes and looks down, and then I blink and the woman is just a woman again, still holding her stick. Follow me. And we do, and the brief glimpse of the beyond fades until I'm not sure what I saw or felt, but we're in church and everything is normal. Everything's fine. So we follow this totally normal woman through more hallways, fluorescent lights, and bland carpets, taupe walls, and the voices of the dead, until she leads us to a perfectly normal door that opens to a perfectly normal office. Here we are. The woman waits for Clara and me to enter the room, and then she drifts in behind us. There's a computer on the desk, and Clara moves to it, hungrily, and I join her. Clara gets past the password screen. I don't see how. And then she kind of stops. I gently slide the keyboard away from her, and I start opening the email app and the browser, and look at the history. So I don't actually see what happens, but the woman is close to us, and she's no longer holding the stick. She smells like a campfire, and a little like an animal that's been running through the woods. Not rancid, not foul, but smoky and musky. You will raise him. She's looking at Clara. You will raise him at the Temple of the Sun. You will create the way, and the great darkness will fall upon the earth, and then we will come out into the darkness and walk the earth as we were meant to. You are the bringer of the way, and his will must be done. Clara's backing up. She's trying to get away from the woman, and somehow the stick is in her hand. Swear it to me. Clara shakes her head. I don't know why she's not speaking at all, but it's eerie. As if she's been in a trance since we've got here. Swear it. Clara's back is against the wall now. I need to intervene before this goes any further. There's a tension in the air, and it reminds me of blood. Sarah's blood. 
I hate it. I don't want to feel like this anymore. Hold on. But they ignore me. They don't even look at me. And I get a really bad feeling. Swear it on the blood. No. Clara, you must. This is our destiny. I move to stand between them and something scratches my hand. I don't know, but the stick has blood on it and there's a cut on the back of my right hand. And we all watch as the blood swells and falls on the floor. And the tension breaks and the woman is, again, normal. Or, or as normal as she can be. And she looks directly at me for the first time. Hurry, Matt. Take her to the temple. You don't have much time. Clara looks at my hand. She's very pale. And she looks at the sharp stick she's holding. I'm really sorry, Matt. You should wash that. Clara? Clara? She doesn't respond, but she's still breathing. Fortunately, I trained for this all through that brief time with Sarah, so I know she's fine. I carry her to a small couch in the office and lay her down. And I find a door that leads to a rather nice bathroom. I need to wash the blood off my hand. Clara is still out when I come back, so I sit at the computer and do some digging. I won't bore you with the details of how I do what I do, but within 10 minutes I found three different email accounts they've used. I found their open Google Drive, and then their secret one. I got their entire browser history, and oddly enough, an encrypted genetics database. Weird thing for a church to have. I start transferring everything to a DMZ file server I use for situations like this, where I want to move a bunch of data safely without giving a strange network access to my own file server. Once I'm back on my own computer, I can start moving it through a series of hops and buffers to get it into my own systems. Kind of like laundering money, if that helps. But for now, I start sifting through it to see what jumps out at me. Our strange visitor obviously gave us a pretty big hint just now, so I do a cross-application search for Temple of the Sun. I don't find anything at first, but I look through the results that hit off the word temple, and it's a lot. Unfortunately, most of it is useless. Just emails to meet at the temple, or going back further, emails and documents about building the temple and the compound out in the woods. I don't want to believe that's the temple she meant, but also, it would be a really weird fucking coincidence if there were two temples in play. But maybe not the weirdest thing to have happened today, you know? I don't know. I do find an email that catches my eye. It's old, from 2016. And it's from someone named John Burns to the pastor, back when this church was just a normal-sized church. John's letter. I think I found something. I was out hunting in the woods. You know how I do every fall. Hey, thanks again for the new camp stove and the time off. It's real kind of you. Anyway, I was out in the part of the forest, right on the edge of where the paths stop and the wild starts, and I came across a group of hunters. They were making camp for the night and inviting me to join them. They showed me to their campsite, which is a pretty big clearing inside of a circle of real old trees, you know, with real thick trunks and the roots that come up out of the ground, and a canopy of branches and leaves high up above our heads. 
It was real peaceful there. Real still. Those roots almost looked like arms, reaching out to hold hands together. And the fire pit looked older than time, ringed with smooth stones, so covered in soot like there'd been thousands of fires here over the years. They watched me a little bit. You know how men do when they've invited a stranger in. Very welcoming, but with one eye open, if you know what I mean. And I made sure to be real respectful, and I added in some of my own food to the pot, and I helped clean up, asked where the latrine was and whatnot. You know, being a good guest and all. So when the eating and cleaning was done, we were sitting around by the fire. I know, I know, you want me to get to it. But I need to tell you my way, and we're getting to the good part now. So we start telling stories, you know. The buck was this big. Alma shot a doe but pulled at the last second. Betted a woman who screamed louder than a stuck pig. That sort of thing. Then one of the guys looks at another guy. Jim, Jack, I'm not so sure about things, you, you know. And he says, have you seen the woman in the woods again? my interest is beat, you could say. Who doesn't dream of being out here and finding some gorgeous woman just pining away for the sight of a strong man? I've thought about that many a night when I'm up here in the deer blind, so I settle in for a story like that. I know they're all lies, but they're the good lies. Those are the kinds of lies I like. One of the guys gives me a little look and goes to shush the guy. Jack, I think. But Jack doesn't care. He's been going in that flask pretty hard. Yeah, I saw her again, running through the trees past the hunting line. A couple of them laugh and start giving him grief, but he insists he saw her. Jim pipes in, says he's seen her a time or two as well. So I ask him to tell me more about this woman. I mention that I'd like to see a woman out in the woods sometime, and they shake their heads. You don't want to see this woman. Jim tells me, all serious. She's naked. And here we all interrupt him, making foolish noises and whatnot, and you know, but he shakes his head. Not good, naked. Feral naked. She's got dirt under her nails, and she's wearing antlers on her head, and she runs barefoot through these woods like it ain't nothing. Like her feet never get cut, which is good, because they're filthy, her feet. Filthy. The way he says it makes me feel dirty for what I'm thinking, I tell you. He had a way about him and a strange light in his eye when he talked about her. She got blood on her face. He says if it's that settles it, as if this feral blood woman is too strange for a red-blooded American man like me. I bristle, I'm not gonna lie, but you told me not to fight, so... I ain't fighting unless I have to, and I don't think this don't count as have to. She's weird, Jack pipes in, the, the one who sees her the most, they tell me. But you can't chase her. She wants you to chase her, they all say together. Sometimes she wears white, Jack says, and I know they've lost him then. I hear it in his voice. She owns him, this woman in the woods. I seen her knife, Jim says, and thinks that's warning enough. One of the other guys, Bob, I think, he looks me in the eyes. I know this is real talk time. 
You ain't never come out this far, have ya? If you had, we'd have seen you out here before now. I tell him he's correct. I've never been this deep in the woods, and not this close to the lawn. I'll tell you straight. You see that woman? You turn and run away from her. She's going to look a little different to each of us, like she knows what we like deep down. At this, Jim starts to argue, but they shush him. I think I know what Jim likes, and I move a little away from him. She's going to try to get you to follow her deeper in, past the line. If you do that, if you chase her out there, you ain't coming back. They all nod, serious-like. Even the ones who say they don't believe in her. You don't go past that line. Talk drifts to other things, and then we settle in for the night, snoring and grumbling and rustling under the trees, and then finally quiet. I fall asleep. I wake up once and hear whispering in the woods, out past the trees. But I go back to sleep, telling myself it's nothing. In the morning, Jack is gone. His sleeping bag is empty and tidy. His boots are still sitting next to it. And even afterwards, that's what gets me. You know? The sight of his boots, just sitting there, waiting for him to get his feet into them. But he's not here. He's nowhere to be found. We set out searching for him, calling, and we fan out from camp, and we look for hours, but we never find him, and we never find sign of him. She took him, Jim says when we get back to camp. She called him, and he did it this time. He followed her, and I knew what he meant. I could hear the hurt that she had called Jack and not him, and that Jack had followed her instead of staying here with his friend. And it's a twofold hurt, and that's just so much worse. It cuts you up inside, deep, deeper than that knife he said she has. Well, we say our goodbyes, and they're real quiet for the friend they lost, and I'm real quiet for not wanting to tell them what I've found. And you know I ain't ever been any good at lying, so I learned I need to just keep my mouth shut, and that's what I do. So they leave, and I head out too. I don't worry that I'll run into them. They have to go back to their ranger station and report their friend missing. So I meander a bit before making my way back to what I have found. It's across the lawn. It's out in the wild. They were scared to come out this far, but I knew if she took him, there was no way she'd stay over on the safe side. And how safe is it anyway if she's out there, luring you to your death? Or what if it isn't death? What if what she promises you is pure ecstasy, and she could really give it to you? Maybe that's worth it. Maybe that's the way to go. And that's how I found what I found. By not being afraid to go where they tell you not to go. By knowing when to cross the line. I found them there, miles from camp. There is this big field full of long dead grass. And after I made my way through that grass, I saw a place where the grass was gone. An empty space. The air was dead. The ground was bare. Black dirt open to the sky. And in the middle of this circle, there they were. Jack and his wild woman. 
her kneeling by his body, dipping her hands in his bloody chest and then drinking it from her hands. There was something beautiful there in that moment. Something like sacrament. As she slid her hands into him and then raised them and drank over and over again. And I think he would have been happy, you know? I think she'd been chasing him for years and he was finally ready to give her what she wanted. Not just his heart, his whole body and his blood. What better sacrifice can a man make to give his whole self to a woman? I felt a kind of peace I've never known standing there in that field, watching her, hands and face painted in blood, drinking under an open sky. The air around her smelled like a campfire and musk, like a woman's sweat, like sex in the woods. A voice came into my head then. You must prepare to open the way. Find the girl and find the beast. And when you bring them together in this place, you will be the caretaker then, shepherding in a new age on this earth. I didn't know what that meant, you know, but I was okay with that. I'm used to that. I just knew I didn't have anything to fear from this woman or this place. They had a different use for me. So I went back to camp, stayed quiet, and then after the hunters left, I went back to the circle, and I marked my way so I could find it later, so I could bring you here. And when I got back to the circle, just a few hours had passed, you know. She was gone. Jack's body was gone. All the blood she didn't drink that had seeped into the ground, it was gone too, like it had never been. Whatever happened here, it wasn't enough. But I knew I had to tell you. You asked me to look out for anything strange in the woods. This sure as shit qualifies. Otherwise, I might not tell you. You might think I was crazy, but I marked the way and I'll bring you here and then you can decide what to do with it. But one last thing. That second time I was there, I got real close to the circle, to the edge where the grass stopped, and I thought about stepping into it. I picked up my foot and went to take a step, but a hand pulled me back. I looked up and I swear to God, this thing, it was big, over seven feet tall, it was wearing a black robe and had the head of a wolf, almost like a man in a mask, but it was so big. This thing was a monster and it pulled me back from the circle and it shook its head at me and then it turned and walked away into the trees. I knew if I tried to tell you in person, my words would get all mixed up, and I'd forget things like I always do, so yeah, this email's long, but it's the best way to get it all out. You tell me what you want to do, if you want to leave it alone or if you want me to take you there, but I swear on everything we know that this is true, this is what happened, and if you are looking for something strange in the woods, I'm pretty damn sure I just found it. Anyway, brunch on Sunday with the girls? John. Clara wakes up as I'm sitting here thinking about what I just read. She rubs her face and looks confused for a second. Waking up on a strange couch in a church basement will do that to you. And then 
sits up. I know where to go. Me too. Finding Satan is written and directed by Gabrielle Aw, produced by Jeremy Herbel, and starring Abby Claus and Mike Scalero. Finding Satan is a Black Cat Collective podcast.
lost souls inside.